This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Don't forget, if you go to aviationcareerspodcast.com, you can find the Scholarships Guide, Career Coaching, and other various online courses. If you use the coupon code PAYITFORWARD, all one word, PAYITFORWARD, you may actually get a free Scholarships Guide through the generosity of others. Uh, You can also make a difference by clicking on the Pay It Forward tab and help someone else move forward in their career by donating a Scholarships Guide. Also, if you want to help some students succeed in life, don't forget you can donate to the Polk State College Flight Team by supporting us at polkstatecollegeflighteam.com slash donate. That's, of course, a NIFA or SafeCon that we're going to compete in. And, uh, it's a college flight team, and I'd love you to donate. Any amount would really, really help. And by the way, if you know somebody who's a bigger sponsor, uh, $500 or more gets their logo on the team shirt. So let them know that. We actually wear that shirt uh, all over all year long, and it's a great way to advertise your business. Anyway, today, a little bit different. Or, well, actually not different. We're going back to uh, what we normally do, and that is our questions. And so let's take a look at the questions. Let's dive right into it. I know we haven't done one of these in a while, so I've got to catch up here. And uh, the questions are, are those things that, you know, this is something that is really important to me because it's what how we can help you move forward in your career. Remember, if you really need some career coaching and individual guidance, um, I may not get to these questions for like a month. Well, go out to our coaching session section of the website. I'm trying to open up my schedule more and more uh, so that you can go out there and and get some of that career coaching. What do we do? We help you move forward in your career by developing a plan, uh, maybe going through where where you are now. You're trying to make a a decision possibly at a specific juncture in your career. You get some really unbiased uh, uh, feedback from myself. And also, if you want me to review your resume cover letter, I do that along with my wife, uh, Gina, who does uh, all the editing on those. So uh, go check that out, aviationcarespodcast.com slash coaching. Anyway, moving on, let's take a look at our first question. It comes in, it says, uh, Hi, Carl. I'm a 43-year-old with a two-year degree in business administration. For the last 18 years, I've worked in the remodeling design industry, married with two stepkids that are about to be gone, meaning I'm assuming out of the uh, out of the house i have a strong interest in aviation for probably 15 years but has really ramped up recently i was always under the impression that flying for a career was unattainable and unrealistic i was always under the impression that you really needed to get into it early in order to have a chance of turning it into something you could call a fulfilling career i also never really had any idea of how many pilot jobs were really needed in the market i never really even gave it a second thought a few months ago, I decided to start my pursuing my private pilot license, really only as something I would do recreationally. In my research, it gradually dawned on me that I could actually turn this into a career. Since then, I've gotten very excited about this proposition, and my wife always is supportive. I have one, count them one hour in my logbook, and that was from the Discovery flight my wife bought me eight years ago. I've allowed myself to get a little carried away with the dream of flying for a living. I think, however, I need a dose of reality. What could I realistically expect to do 
Could it be a career as a CFI? One of the instructors at a nearby airport's 82, so it obviously is something that I could do almost until the day I die. Could it be a rewarding career as a corporate or charter pilot? Well, let's think even bigger and go to a regional. Dare I even entertain the thought of a major or freight? I would love to start working with less than 500 hours, even 300. Is that realistic? What about flying several gigs instead of having one steady job? As you're fond of saying, flight time is flight time. It's plain and, and that one station in this industry easily uh, leads to another. If I had the requisite hours, I would quit my job now and go find something that would at least get me in the air. It is very easy for me to get lost in the dream. As you can see, realistic is a running theme. I'm not even sure I'm asking the right questions. Any help or comments you can give would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Carl, for all and your fellow podcasters. Well, you know, there's a lot of good questions here. And, you know, I know you didn't think that this is realistic. And think about it at your age. Um, years ago, people said, well, when you hit 30, you can't actually go into a flying career. And that's not true. Even people in the old days would do it if that was something they wanted to do. Many times they would think, I'm, I'm going to be stuck, quote unquote, at the regionals. There's some regionals and jobs out there that are actually really good. Some that aren't, some that are. Uh, I, I loved my time at the regionals. Uh, and, and I still miss it, to be honest with you. I miss some of those destinations. And I, I miss flying with the people. Um, but at 43 years old, there are a few limits, uh, knowing that you have, you know, you don't have 30 or 40 years left in your career. You know, you have to retire at an airline at 65, but all the other jobs, you don't need to do that. Just like you talked about, uh, as CFI and that type of thing. But uh, first of all, don't hold yourself short. 43, you could still make it to a major airline within three, five, ten years. If you give yourself 10 years, you'll definitely get there. Now, what does that mean? You'll get to a major by the time you're 53, say, and you'll only have about 12 years left. But 12 years left at a major is pretty good. Plus, remember this, that job will actually help you move forward and get another job uh, later on. So what do I mean by that? I mean, how many times do you see... Uh, major airline pilots going out and getting jobs to flying corporate. Think about this. If you're coming out of a major and you've got 15, 20,000 hours, they're probably going to hire you because you have a lot of experience, a lot of flying experience. So that that is a big help, having the, the different varied experience too. So never discount that. But there are other jobs. You, you know, you mentioned a person that's 82 years old and is still flight instructing. Well, you know what? I hope I'm still flight instructing when I'm 82 years old. You know, that that's something that I think is really important as long as you keep your health. Um, but I think you really, gosh, don't sell yourself short. I know there's a limited time here. And I, I hear people that are 23 thinking that it's, it's too late for them to get started, and you're 43, but no. You just have to realize where you're going to go. And think about this. Um, even Say you go to the regionals and then you move into a corporate job. The regionals are a great way to build time. I, I see so many people doing that, not even going corporate, just going – to going to the regionals with knowing that they're going to go to say a fractional, uh, net jets, that type of thing. So think about that, the charter jobs. Uh, uh, time is really important. But going back to my statement about time is time, time is time for your ATP. But make sure one thing, though. Make sure that if you're going to fly, say, in the corporate world or if you're going to fly like for an airline, that you actually are getting good time, for instance, IFR. You know, a lot of times we see that some of these people come in and they really don't have much actual instrument flying experience. So make sure you do that. Make sure you get that actual instrument experience. And a lot of these jobs you will, but a lot of them you won't. Think about it. Say, for instance, look at a uh, pipeline patrol. 
maybe you're using your instrument rating to get yourself to the job. Uh, once you're at the job, it's you know it's all VFR type flying, maybe flying skydivers or towing gliders, all these other jobs that you can get right away and make money. If if you're thinking of it from a perspective of keeping your current job, then yeah, it's a good idea to do some of those jobs. Uh, I know people tow banners, uh, do airplane rides in like Stearmans and stuff like that. Another thing I would say is try to find a niche. Go after like a Cirrus or or a Stearman. That's that's really what turns you on, and really get to know that specific airplane and start teaching in that airplane. Uh, here's a good example. There's a thing called a Grumman Cougar. It's a twin engine uh, aircraft, and I I used to work for the Grumman uh, parts distributor, and they had a Cougar, and there weren't too many people out there that could do flight instructing. So people would come from all over just to get time at our flight school in that airplane. Uh, so there's uh, there are lots of different opportunities. Never discount the regionals. Uh, yeah, the regionals you could get hired easily when you're talking the majors. Maybe I mean it, it's it depends on you. It depends on how much you uh, you want to get out there and and actually work at it. If you're going to do it full time, oh yeah, you'll definitely get hired at, at a major airline. There's a lot of folks that are doing that to check off that box that they did it and they made it to a major. Think of this too. There's a lot of like discount airlines and ultra uh, low cost airlines that are out there hiring people. And, and say you use a lot of people are using those as stepping stones. Uh, some of those low cost airlines, actually, people get in there and then realize, oh, boy, you know, the, the pay is really good and they won't leave. And uh, and you'll find that. So sometimes you'll find that, you know, you get there, you get to a, a low cost airline and all of a sudden you're upgrading the captain and you're making, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year. It's hard to stop flying in that in that job, and uh, once you get some seniority. So again, you know, you're asking the right questions. Uh, you can have many different gigs. Let's go back to that. Let's say airlines definitely you don't want to do. Say you want to become a corporate pilot. Yeah, there's a lot of contract pilots um, and charter pilots. I think that's kind of what you were alluding to when you say corporate or charter. You can do a lot of contract work. Um, a good example is here locally in Lakeland. I hear of many different flying jobs. People you know, know me, so they say, hey, do you know somebody that can fly, say, a King Air 350 or something like that? I was like, sure, I know somebody. Well, it's just contract basis. And it's like, that's fine. Some people, that's what they do. Because remember, you're going to make a lot more per day on a contract basis than you would in most other jobs. Uh, obviously, not as much as an airline captain per day, but you can make pretty darn good money uh, as a contract uh, corporate pilot. And and in some cases, in some cases, yeah, you can make more as a contract pilot there. So see all these different opportunities I just I just spelled out for you. There's lots of them out there, and I really want you to think about pursuing one of those. So. Yeah, don't don't give up on it. Don't give up on that that dream and do it now. I know your your spouse and your family are really behind you. I can tell from this email. So you are lucky that that's the case. So make sure you get out there and uh, and you go and you fly and you do the thing you want to do and possibly maybe even do some part time flying, uh, flight instructing, etc. Be careful though. By the way, um, some of these jobs that you're going to get they actually will require you to stick with that job and get permission to fly outside of work. A good example, for instance, where I work, my airline, I had permission to fly outside of work, and then they changed the system, so I have to reapply to be able to fly outside of work. I'm actually not able to do that, so right now I can't actually, I can 
obviously flight instructor, but not for hire. Uh, I can do all that. I can do anything I want for free. It's just when it comes down to uh, actually working outside of work in the aviation industry, I can't really do that. Uh, this here is a little different. You know, the coaching I do is not in direct competition with with the airline, but the other stuff like actual flying and helping out a one twenty one or or one thirty five. Yeah, think about it. That's direct competition. So I can't do some of that stuff. Flight instructing though, usually. Most airlines, um, actually a lot of them promote it because they want you to help the next generation of pilots move forward. So it's usually a never an issue, uh, but, uh, but you do have to go through that process. Anyway, I hope this helps a lot. Um, and by the way, um, one of the other things that I wanted to say as far as moving forward, you know, I always tell people to take uh, one step towards their career goal and in their life. And I think I mentioned this a few months ago. One of the challenges I've had, and this is you know about being transparent with the podcast, is is actually moving forward in my life and my career. And one of the things I mentioned was the whole weight loss thing. And uh, I don't like to bring it up too much, although I appreciate some of the emails from people. And one of the listeners said, you know, hey, Carl, what have you done today? To What is that one step you took today to actually uh, lose weight and get better shape? And you know what? I took that to heart because all of a sudden I got a, you know, here it is. They're feeding me my same medicine. And I was like, oh man, you know, I, I have to make sure that I do this. So uh, I'm happy to say that uh, I was at my, I guess it doesn't matter. I was at, I can, I can share this. My top weight was 278 pounds. And as of yesterday, I finally broke 240. So I, I'm finally on my way down uh, as far as uh, losing weight and everything. And, and by the way, this is not a podcast about weight loss, but I feel a heck of a lot better. I have a lot more energy and uh, certain you know medical conditions are starting to go away, you know, and that's a good thing. Uh, and when you're, we talked about flying for your career, that's so important uh, is to do something that actually will keep you in shape throughout your career. It's very easy uh, to gain weight. Uh, I looked at it, and on my with my airline job, I averaged two two pounds per year during the course of my career. It didn't happen overnight. Two pounds per year—that's a lot. So, the the moral of the story is try to eat right. You know what? You can eat right on the road. Uh, it's a little tougher. But there's places out there you may wind up spending a little extra money. So anyway, I wanted to get back to that person that asked me what I've done, and I did. I finally, you know, put my foot down, said I'm going to do it, and I went forward. I'm not going to mention what I do because when I do, everybody has kind of all these different ideas as far as losing weight. I am open, though, to any ideas. And if you have any books on on stuff like that, hey, maybe I'll even put that out there, how to, how to you know, keep your... I don't know, your cholesterol low, your your blood pressure low, your heart you know, in good shape, those kind of things. That's something I think maybe I should start putting into our recommended reading section because it is a, a big part of your career is staying healthy. So I figured I'd, I'd mention that one too. Anyway, let's move on to the next question. This question comes in and says, Hello, Carl. I'm currently in a Part 141 school. First, guys like myself who have the build of an offensive lineman, finding comfortable clothing can be quite challenging. I found Adidas and Callaway golf slacks to be quite comfortable to fly in, but not had any luck with shirts. I'm about to see if I can find a tailor that can add epaulets to a Columbia PFG's shirt. Do you know of any brands that make a shirt out of some kind of premium fabric, perhaps? Maybe even ones that made with stretch fabric. Moreover, on that topic, do you ever take a, a fabric's ability to melt into consideration when getting dressed? As a medic firefighter, I do worry a bit every time I get ready. However, considering the amount of time I spend in the cockpit and the low likelihood of an incident, it seems a bit overkill to wear fire-retarding clothing. What are your thoughts? Uh, depends on what you're flying. 
You know, you look at some of these air show pilots, you look at the guys that fly uh, some of the steermans, other stuff in the in the shows, you see that they wear the jumpsuits. In certain instances, we wear jumpsuits, like when I was in the Civil Air Patrol, that kind of thing. That actually is a good uh, reason to actually wear that if you're, you know, prone to possibly having an incident or accident, yes. But uh, but you do want to wear clothing that enables you to get in and out of the cockpit fairly easily. I'll give you a good example. I used to use uh, Velcro sneakers because I kept getting my shoelaces caught on the rudders and they would come on tight. So when I'm instructing all day, I'll slip into those sometimes uh, or anything without any ties on it. I do uh, wear tight shoes now and kind of, uh, you know, make sure I don't get them caught in the rudders, that type of thing. Uh, but but as far as clothing is concerned, there are some, like Arrow has some good shirts uh, as far as stretch and stuff like that. And I actually, I love the collared shirt. I know you probably can't do this where you work, but I love uh, the collared shirts with the, you know, the, the sport tech and those type of things. That's what we use uh, at the school. And also that's what I use uh, when I'm uh, wearing all my shirts out. And I, I tell you what, it's funny you mention this because I was just, actually, I was just out flying in the in the Warrior uh, just recently and taking my nephew up in my Warrior. And I had on my team shirt and man, it really helps. I mean, because when you get all hot and sweaty, it really does help that wicking pattern. I used to, you know, 20 some odd years ago when I was flying, I'd always wear cotton shirts and I would bring a couple of them with me. This way, actually, these will dry out, which is actually terrific, and it's easier. You can kind of clean them on the road and that kind of thing, and they they wick. Uh, as far as epaulets are concerned and those type of things, one of the things you're, gosh, you're going to have to get used to is, you know, the companies usually have their own uniforms that you have to wear when you go to work, and you're going to have to wear those. I mean, they could be cotton shirts or whatever. So you kind of have to get used to that. I will say one thing when you get to the airlines, when you do start looking at those arrow shirts and that type of thing, you will find uh, that they have the bigger sizes, um, you know, the 19-inch necks. You know, I was a wrestler, so I have a bigger neck, so it's like 18-inch, or I don't think I ever was below a 17-inch. So you definitely need to have something a little bit bigger. Uh, but the problem is with the bigger shirts, they billow out, and there are some that do have uh, the the cut where the, the athletic cut and that kind of thing. And, yes, you, you wind up getting them tailored. But uh, the kind of shirts I think you're looking for are ones with epaulets, and no, I don't, but I'd like to challenge some of my listeners and say, hey, if you can help answer his question, if there's any of those type of wicking shirts that have epaulets on them and uh, or epaulet holders, then that would be great. I uh, really appreciate it. My my theory is this. Convince your flight school or whatever that you can wear the collared shirts uh, with the wicking action and not have to wear the epaulets. Of course, you can't do that when you're working for an airline. But good question. I appreciate it. Moving on to the next question. It says, Carl, I recently began my private pilot training, and I currently have obtained four hours of flight time. I'm 27 years old and currently work in insurance and consider myself to be a career changer and would like to eventually fly for the majors. However, the cost of flying is slowing me down some. I'm currently able to fly about once or twice a week, but would love to be able to accelerate my training while remaining debt-free. I have a wife and two-year-old daughter, so I'm very focused on being conservative with financing my flight training. couple of questions. Does the scholarships guide include scholarships for career changers? How long did it take you to move from zero hours to flying for the regionals, and what do you think a good timeline would be? Thanks, Carl, for your podcast. This truly keeps me focused on my future career and making my current insurance job a lot more interesting. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, first of all, the scholarships guide has scholarships for everybody. Just remember, in general, 
Most scholarships are for those in high school and in college, but there is a lot more out there now. There's the ones that are at AOPA, EAA, Women in Aviation, OBAP, NGPA. I mean, there's all sorts of different organizations out there that have scholarships that are for not specifically career changers, but specifically people that want to further their ratings, their ratings. As far as how long it took me to go from zero hours to flying for the regionals, kind of don't look at me because it was my hobby for 10 years before I actually took it seriously. So um, probably a better way to look at it is how do you go from zero time to the regionals, uh, the actual time frame. I like to be conservative. I tell people three to five years from zero to getting to the regionals, add another three to five years to get to the majors to that. So what's that total? It's six to 10 years from right now to the time that you're actually sitting in a major airline, which actually is pretty good. I know, I know people have done it a lot less, uh, but in general, that's what normally it takes. Because remember, you got to get your hours. How do you get your hours? You have to get ratings. And then after that, you have to build time. So a couple of years in the, in, you know, doing the flight instructor thing uh, or whatever cargo, etc. move on to the to the regionals and move on to the majors. Or some people even keep the like whatever job they have in corporate, do that first and then they move on to the major airlines. I you know, I think that going to a corporate route actually is a really good route to go. I know a lot of people are very happy. And also when they get to the majors, a lot of the corporate pilots really enjoy the majors because of the fact they have so many days off. I mean look at me this month I've got 15 days off. Next month I think I'm I think I got 20 days off, something like that. But it's absolutely amazing uh, the amount of days you get off. Plus, you're not on a reserve all the time. So how long did it take me to go zero to flying for the regionals? That was 10 years. But then again, that was because of the fact I had a business before this. Uh, I graduated college and actually used my degree in, in computer science. And uh, also, uh, I was a business owner for many years. Uh, I used to have a, a lobster business down in the Bahamas, I guess. You know, in, in Abaco and Green Turtle Key, which actually was it just hit just recently uh, with these big storms, and uh, and that actually uh, afforded me to to basically be able to retire at a very young age, um, and then able to move forward uh, with a career. So uh, and move into this. So yeah, I uh, I really think that one of the more important things is is to look at yeah you can you can get scholarships. You gotta you gotta really work at them. Half those scholarships out there, you know, you can't get. Um, and then, uh, because of the age and you are quote unquote, a career changer, uh, as far as number of years, give yourself uh, three to five and then another three to five, six to 10 total to get from zero to the airlines. Very conservative. Those numbers, by the way, thanks for the question. Hopefully that helped. Anyway, let's move on to the next question. Good afternoon, Carl and crew. I want to begin by thanking you for what you do here in the podcast. It truly lives up to the inspirational and educational bit you've set for yourself. I'm 25 years old and currently have absolutely no experience in aviation whatsoever, but am undoubtedly attracted to the world of air travel and have a palpable desire to pursue a career as a pilot. I work in emergency medical services as a paramedic currently, which was a childhood itch that I had to scratch and absolutely do well enough for myself financially, but am unsure if it's well enough to to maintain my life at home and fund a pursuit of an education in aviation. I did some research regarding aviation bachelor degrees and partnered that partner with 141 schools and came to the decision on Liberty University in part due to the didactic portion of the degree being available online, allowing me to continue work full-time as a paramedic, and also because they offer a 25% tuition discount for first responders capable of providing proof of current certification. Um, that's actually really cool. 
There are several flight affiliates in my area, and I'm hoping that I will be able to fund some of my training with federal aid money and the rest through scholarships from your guide and lastly with personal loans. So finally, here's a question. I've been reading a bit more about hiring agreements between the university and various regionals and have come to find numerous cadet programs that offer tuition reimbursement. Is pursuing a position as a cadet with a regional worth doing in terms of attaining reimbursement money and additionally in providing assistance in completing hours towards ATP as a CFI or a double I? If so, how important of a factor, in your opinion, is a regional being wholly owned by a major in terms of stability and security for the regional and in turn for its employees? As a follow-up, is a guaranteed flow-through to a major an important factor in considering a regional in today's job economy, or is that something to worry about? Lastly, would it behoove me and others in my position to simply remain a free agent, quote-unquote, for as long as possible while gaining hours and furthering education to see how contracts or negotiated and work rules slash pay changes as time moves on? Or is it getting in the door early with an airline by way of a cadet program a wise choice worth considering? Thank you very much for your time. And again, I truly appreciate what you do in the podcast and your website. You have been an exceptionally encouraging voice to an inspiring aviator with zero hours as of writing this email. Well, I'm glad this has helped. Boy, a lot of questions here as far as, um, let's take a look at something here. Uh, asking about the security, uh, job security as the regionals and having the stability of a flow through. For in my career time, in my career, I have seen uh, at least three flow through agreements disappear because the airlines that were included in the flow through either disappeared or the airlines that they were flowing to went bankrupt and the agreement disappeared. And you even see that now. I mean, you see certain regional airlines that have um, their flying taken away. I mean, the regional I worked for, for a long time, they had flying taken away and actually had to start their own airline. And it was, uh, it was rather difficult for them. Here's the deal. There are no guarantees in this life. And the most important thing you need to look at is where you are when you have enough hours to apply for the regionals. Doing these cadet programs, they can go away in minutes. They also can be the best thing in the world. Depends on timing. We have, you know, let's look at some recent examples. We have students that have moved on to certain regionals, and those regionals actually don't have any classes available for six months. It's like, wait a minute, now you don't have a class for six months. Now you're sitting around waiting, whereas you could have gone on to another regional airline, which most of the time is what happens. Uh, most of the people say, you know what, I'm not going to wait. I need to start building seniority. I want to get my 1,000 hours PIC uh, and then move on. And by the way, that's one of the goals. You know, Let's look at the major goal. You want to get to the majors airlines. That's great. Let's look at the other goal. You should shoot for 1,000 hours pilot and command time in a jet. That should be one of your goals. Are they hiring without that? Of course they are right now. But in the future, if things if there's a downturn, et cetera, that's where you want to be. You want to have that time so that not only can find jobs here, as they you know, tighten the, the hiring and also the hiring standards, but you also can find jobs overseas, which happens a lot during those downturns. And you having a thousand hours PIC in something is a great thing. Many of the overseas jobs, you know, the jets are getting smaller and they're hiring to some of the smaller jets, et cetera, but they're usually requiring you to have a PIC time in like a 737 or, or an Airbus or something like that. But getting back to the, to the actual question here, 
having these different uh, programs, remember this, the regionals, again, they're coming to you. They're coming to the schools because they need you, and that's why they're putting these programs together and these flow-through agreements together. It also helps sometimes the major because then they can throttle or they can actually vary the amount of people that are coming into the major so that they don't lose their regional flying. There's some airlines that don't have regionals, and uh, those airlines, uh, they don't have these programs. But they do get, they do have partnerships a lot of times. And everybody wants to do a partnership with the university. Every airline, every regional wants to do that. There may be a few that don't, but, you know, it's just uh, 95% of them want to have a partnership with a school, with any other organization like a, a local school or even a big university. And that's because they need pilots and you're the one that's in the driver's seat. Uh, so, as far as the importance of having these flow agreements, uh, I'd have to say from my experience and looking at it, yeah, they're great and it's cool and it's wonderful to know you have a job psychologically. Uh, it also can be a detriment to you psychologically. I'll tell you why. Sometimes, like if you know, say you get your instrument rating and you're at one of these schools and an airline comes in and says, hey, we're going to hire you and you're hired, you may suddenly shut down every other airline in your mind. You may not start thinking about you know, trying to be aggressive and moving forward and trying to get all of your time in to move on to some of these other airlines and be eligible for some of those airlines. That's not good. I want you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sign up for some of these and take a look at them. Don't sign any absolute agreements, and most of them aren't that way. The agreements that you usually see that are cadet programs where you actually have to sign on for years are the ones that actually pay for your ratings and pay your whole tuition. Uh, there's not many of those in the United States. Most of these I work with are overseas that do that. And you're, you're kind of, you know, you're beholden to them because they put all that money up. It's like the military. If you're going to go to the military, which is a great option to get your ratings and become a pilot, then you are going to have to stay there. You have to put in a commitment. Well, the airlines are going to do the same thing for you. So most of these agreements uh, you can actually get out of at some point. Uh, but if they're going to loan you money, uh, believe me, you're going to sign an agreement where you're going to have to pay back that money if you don't stay within that program. Same thing with the regional airlines too, especially some of the smaller ones, uh, some of the piston area uh, twin regionals. You know, they when you upgrade, they're going to sign an agreement stating, hey, you have to stay with us for a certain amount of time. Not that that's bad. I mean, it might be good for you. I'm not saying it isn't. Just remember that. If you're wanting to move out of there quickly and you sign this agreement, you're going to have to pay back a certain amount of money if they, they actually upgrade you. Same thing with corporate jobs. Uh, we talked about corporate before. Many of those corporate jobs will make you sign an agreement, uh, and this is in general in most corporations. If they train you, you're going to have to actually you know, stay there for a certain amount of time. And that makes sense. They're putting all this time and money into you. Or you have to pay a fee uh, when you leave. So you have to make a commitment of uh, usually a couple of years, maybe 12 months. If, say, for instance, you go to a corporation, they say, okay, we're going to get your Goldstream rating. But you have to agree to stay with our company for 24 months. Not a bad deal. Um, the downside is uh, you may not get maybe but 200 hours a year of flying time. Uh, and that's fine if that's where you want to be. Uh, but just remember, you may wind up uh, signing those those agreements. So, you know, not all that glitters is gold. And the same thing, not all agreements with airlines are are what they seem to be, and they may not be the best situation for you. So here's the, here's the actual advice I have. Look at the specific agreement before signing up. Is it something you feel would benefit you 
because of your situation. If it is, then yes, go for it. This is very situational specific. It may not be the best thing for you. Um, there's not one good thing for everybody, but it's the one thing that might be good for you. And obviously, if anybody wants to talk one-on-one and go through specifics as to your situation, obviously we can't talk about this on here, you know, on the podcast. You know, it, that's why we do the career coaching, and it's been it's been a blessing um, helping a lot of the folks move forward. It's been absolutely wonderful. Uh, and for me, it's kind of cool with these questions and forming an actual path for people through the coaching and watching people go from no time to the regionals and then to the majors after that. It, it really keeps me going and, and gets me excited. And by the way, if you're one listening or and you've made it to the airlines, let me tell me your story. I mean, you can do a, a quick, you know, this is what I did. And this is how I got here. I'd love to hear that. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, click on how to be a guest on the podcast. It's on the right side. Little course, couple minute video and uh, come on. We want to hear your inspirational story and your and, and what you've done. I mean, we've heard from people that have, have, I've coached in the past and have said, this is what I did and it's inspired so many other people. So we really, really would appreciate your doing that. But you know, the most important thing, just like I did with my weight loss and what someone's, you know, told me to do, made me take my own medicine is I want you to do this after this podcast, no matter what it is, if you're going to look into becoming a pilot, a flight attendant, if you're looking into becoming a dispatcher mechanic, I want you to do something right after you turn this off. It could be something simple, uh, like a lot of times a note, you know, you have those reminders, like on some of these phones, I have an iPhone, so I can say, hey, uh, you know, make a reminder to look at certain books on, uh, you know, interview prep, like I have in the recommended reading section on the website, Uh, look into a certain airlines cadet program, go out and ask other people and get out there and do this today. Um, Maybe you're one that hasn't done their intro flight yet. Get out the door. You know, a lot of this stuff you can do yourself. Make sure you walk in the door. Don't just look at a brochure and get that one-on-one experience because that is going to tell you if this is the right place for you. But most importantly, do something now. Do something today to move forward in your career. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.